Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Amen. Hey, before you're seated, turn to someone and say, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Won't you be my neighbor? Do that, would you? Won't you be my neighbor? It's a beautiful day. Beautiful day. Is it still icy outside? Is it bad outside? I got here, it wasn't even icing yet. But uh, I'm looking at John. John, you're not doing anything. You're not helping me one bit. You're still not doing it. Is there ice on the road? Is it bad? Good. Hey, praise the Lord. That's good, good. If you have your Bibles this morning, take them and turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be all over this morning. I've given you a lot of the passages in your notes so that you don't have to feel like you're flipping constantly. But I I want you especially to mark Luke chapter 2, John chapter 1, as we begin a new series today called God With Us. It's based on Scripture that says, And the virgin will be with child, and she shall give him the name and it will be Emmanuel, 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 with us, the God of creation. God with us. And we're going to be talking about that over the next four or five weeks together as we celebrate God's gift of his presence in our life. I wonder how many of you, uh, this is, I'm just taking a chance here, how many of you are already done with shopping? Just raise your hand, you're already done. Some of you are. You probably started like last year, didn't you? Just, I, I'm a clearance guy, so I, I, I get that. How many of you, how many of you will do most of your shopping online this year? That'd be you. You're online. Okay, okay. That was me. Wasn't Black Friday for me? It was uh, golden. Uh, it was black coffee, actually. Black coffee. Mo- uh, Thursday morning, I was in the Starbucks in Napa, Indiana, and I was ordering stuff. Sorry, Tammy, uh, but uh, she'll get the bill later. She's the one that pays it. I spend it. That's how it works. That's the way it should be. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, I'm that guy. But we still went out a little bit. How many of you do enjoy like just going out? You like going out in the shop and you like do that? Okay, some of you do it. How many of you haven't even started yet? Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's right. Means I'm not going to. How many of you are not going to do anything this year? You're not going to do it at all. Yeah, doggone it. Means I'm not going to get a gift from any of you guys. That's terrible. So, imagine you're in the mall, and you are uh, you're with the kids, and uh, they're crying, and they're crying because you haven't seen Santa Claus yet, and they wouldn't want to go see Santa Claus, and and you go into a Macy's, and you got your arms are full, and you ask the kids just to kind of detain themselves a little bit. You have to go to the perfume counter. you got to find the right perfume in the right box, and it actually matters, which I didn't know that two years ago, and it matters that it's in a certain color box, and the kids are playing in the, in the clothes, uh, clothes area, and they're playing hide-and-seek, and you hear a little bit of Christmas music, and then everything stops, and the music isn't so much coming from across the speakers as the people who are standing next to you. Something like this.
that was, uh, that was 2010, October the 30th. It was the Opera Company of Philadelphia, 650-member choir. As they began to sing the Hallelujah Chorus, you saw actual was a, was a pipe organ there. I mean, what an incredible spectacle. I told Pastor Bruce, I said, man, I think our choir ought to do that. We ought to do it. We're going to go down to the dollar store, and we're going to pop in there. Hey, I know, I know my people. I know where you shop. I get it. I see you in there. We go in there. We surround that thing. That's just incredible. And what, what's interesting is that on a, in an ordinary store, now I realize that was kind of a spectacular store, but in an ordinary store, all of a sudden it became kind of like a church. And that which was just kind of a, a common shopper, they started to become part worshiper. And what was just a common, ordinary day took on the sacred when all that came together. Now, if you take that concept and you multiply it a thousand times, you have a little bit of an idea of what happened on that first Christmas. Luke says, in fact, he goes to great lengths to help you understand just how common it was, how ordinary, how normal it was. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census be taken. Oh, now we got to do a census. By the way, there's only one reason you're doing a census. It's so you can get enough tax money. That's what it was being done for. So you got common census. You got common uh, taxes that are taking place. And it says, and everyone went to his hometown to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth, which was just kind of a common little place, in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, kind of a common town, the, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married and was expecting a child. Kind of a common situation. While they were there, then came time for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. This was not a spectacle. They were not in a palace. They, there was no room for them in the Holiday Inn. That's in my version. There's no room for them. This is a common, ordinary situation. This is a common group of people. There were shepherds that were there. Nearby, keeping watch over their flocks. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. And the, and the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Verse 13 says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. You have a common, ordinary situation. In fact, if you would have done an ultrasound on Mary, this would have been an, uh, just a kind of a normal 
child. How many of you had a, uh, when you were, w- w- how many of you have children? Just raise your hand real quick. How many of you had an ultrasound before, you, when you were pregnant and such? Do that? Okay. Now, they've gotten a little different because they're not, they're way more detailed today than what they were when we did that. But, but we didn't want to know. We didn't want to know if it was a boy or a girl or anything like that. But, you know, you can, excuse me, you can see certain things. Like, you can see, um, you can see their hands, you know, two hands. That was kind of cool. And you see their feet, you know. Um, pierced nose that was in there, you know, and no, that's, that's for teenagers, right? Uh, <laughs> you had, had the piercings, no. And, if you, and when you look at those ultrasounds, you're kind of waiting for the doctor to say the words you're kind of hoping for. Everything's normal. Everything's okay. And if you would have taken an ultrasound of the Son of God in the womb of Mary, everything would have been normal. And yet what's powerful about why we're here and, and this concept of God with us is that Scripture helps us to understand that it was also at this time where heaven really meets earth, where, where deity meets humanity, where the divine meets the ordinary in this moment. Luke helps you to understand kind of the ordinary. John wants you to see the the heavenly, the deity, the, the, the incredible love, the extraordinary about this event. John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, John actually borrows verbiage from the first chapter of Genesis as he begins to share God coming into the world. It says, in the beginning, just like Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing that has been made, or nothing nothing was made that has been made. And so He is trying to help us to understand that when God created the universe, God spoke it into existence. It was His Word. When God created the stars, He spoke them into existence. When God created Adam, he spoke into existence. It was the authority of his word, and he says, I want you to understand that that word of God is exactly who you're seeing in Jesus Christ. Verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Heaven met earth. Deity meets humanity. The divine meets the ordinary, and it all comes together. And I I don't know about you, but I think we tend, when we look at Jesus Christ and we look at his work, we tend to either overemphasize his humanity and we kind of don't understand the deity side, or we overemphasize the deity and we forget the ordinary The commonness of who Jesus is. And so as we're talking about this whole promise of God with us, Emmanuel, what I want to do as we begin this journey is just to kind of understand that a little bit and understand why it's such a big deal. Because I think when you understand who Jesus Christ is and who he he wants to be in our lives, I, I believe that it gives us tremendous confidence knowing that there's power behind the promises that he makes to us. Now, I want to take you on the first journey. It's found in Colossians chapter 1. 
Colossians 1, we're going to take a look at heaven, the deity of Christ. And I want you to know, this is, Marshall, this is one of my very favorite passages of Scripture. Because when people say, ah, oh, Jesus was just a common, ordinary guy, and he, was a, he really was just a, a good prophet, I just take them right to Colossians chapter 1, and I just kind of work down through this. Because nowhere in Scripture does it proclaim that he is not the Son of God. And so here's what it says, and I love this. It says, he talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. That in and of itself is a powerful concept. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Notice he doesn't say all things were made. He didn't go down to Home Depot and pick up some building materials he didn't go down to the chemistry shop, get a few chemis- chemicals to put together Phil Whetstone. He created the very building blocks of creation. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, which means he not only created physical but even spirit. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things were created by him and for him, for his purpose, for his glory. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or, or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. By the way, Colossians 2, he says it again. It's as if he's trying to emphasize it, that in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. You'll notice that I'm using the word deity a lot rather than divine because there's a difference. Divine simply indicates that one has God-like attributes deity is an exclusive word reserved only for ha dios the god the one and only it equates christ with christ the son with the heavenly father with the holy spirit the proclamation that is being made here is not that god created a little god but rather that he is co-equal And you notice, I wrote down in your list, because I didn't want you to spend all your time writing today, it says he's God in the flesh. I love what it says. It says in, in, in God's word, when we see Christ, we are seeing the heavenly Father. Um, he created all things. He is eternal. That's the one that messed me up as a kid. I, as a kid, I could, now I realize, I probably thought about weird things and and things a little differently than other people did but I always I never struggled that much with eternity future that I I mean I think we kind of get that idea where you know forever and ever and ever that made sense to me or it didn't make sense but I mean I could kind of grasp that eternity past no beginning we're such infinite time centered creatures this idea that he has no beginning just simply is that that, I, that still blows my mind. I just cannot wrap it around. And those of you who say that you comprehend it and you get it, no, you don't. You're just making that up. You, you think you do. But every time you think you do, we have such little puny minds. It's hard for us to grab something that's that huge. That's Christ. He holds all of existence together. 
He's the head of the church. He's, he's supreme. He is the fullness of God. That means every aspect of who God is. That means God is omnipotent, means he has all power. Christ is all-powerful. He's omniscient, meaning he knows everything. Christ has all knowledge. He's immutable, which means God never changes. Uh, Hebrews what uh, uh, 13.8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that he is unchanging in who he is and his promises and in his very character. That is heaven. That is deity. That is who we worship. And yet what's interesting is that he, man, how do we say this? He was willing to refrain from all of that aspect and take on humanity. Meet earth. It's kind of like in a very simplistic way. Saying that you live in a mansion down somewhere in one of our nicer suburbs and you live in this mansion and you go to, to Africa to live in a little village in a hut and to be among the orphans that are there, it's kind of like giving up one uh, 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 sense and taking on something else for a purpose and a mission. Now look what Paul says about that in Philippians chapter 2. Turn your Bibles there if you would, or, or you're welcome just to look at that. And it's all going to kind of think come together. It says in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in his very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, he didn't have to hold on to it. Just because he was equal with God, he didn't think that was something he had to hold on to, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Now notice what he does here. He says that in his nature, in who he is, he is God. But he also says in his nature, he is a servant. He's human. And the, the concept of this in, in, those, in the theological world is called the, the hypostatic union. Two becoming one. Two persons, one reality. It's a little bit, and it never struck me until I think last night when I was kind of going through this. It's how God talks about marriage where God says, and the two shall become one flesh. There's two becoming one. Two persons becoming, two, two, two uh, natures becoming one nature. And look what he says, and, be, and taking on the very uh, nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Now, what blows me away is that you're starting to see Jesus had some very ordinary aspects of him. Um, he had kind of an ordinary mother. Now, I realize all of our moms are extraordinary. But, I mean, he really did. He had an ordinary mom. He had an ordinary upbringing. He had an ordinary trade. He was a carpenter by trade. He, had, he has human frailty, which means that, you know what, if you punched him, it hurt. If you pinched him long enough, he'd bruise. You go without food, you get hungry. You go without water long enough, you're going to die. He's tempted. Scripture says in every way that we are tempted. I want you to think just for a moment about the temptations in your life. 
that feel almost insurmountable to you? What does that say to you that Jesus went through those same temptations? When he was beaten, he hurt. When he faced the cross, he agonized over the cup that he was about to bear. When he was betrayed, it wounded him. When Peter denied him, it disappointed him. Fully God, fully human, how can that happen? Hey, Jordan, is he here? Yeah, pop, pop up here real quick. This is Jordan Wormlinger. Hey, would you, would you welcome Jordan as he comes up here real quick? Now, Jordan, I didn't ask you, I, didn't, I mean, I asked you, but I didn't tell you what we're going to do. Come on right over here real quick. Uh, Jordan, Jordan is a, uh, now you're not, let's just say, let's say you're the fastest man in the world, which I did a little research on this, and the fastest man as far as the 100 yard or 100 meter is actually still Usain Bolt, okay? Uh, but you're more of a, you're more of a distance runner, right? You're a runner, okay? Yeah. And like, what would, what would, like, where would you run? How would you run? How would I run? Like, I mean, how far? Three miles. Okay, let's say three miles. And let's just say three miles, how long can you do How fa How fast can you do it, do you think? Because you're getting old. Um, how, how old are you? 25. Oh, man, I'll tell you what. Next thing you're going to know, you're going to be 52. It's, it's, it's going to go quick. Okay, but you can still run pretty decent. And so how fast can you do, like, five miles? And don't, don't you know, don't be five. too modest. Uh, I'm sorry, three miles. Three miles. 24, 25 minutes right now. Let's just say 20, 25 minutes. Five. Okay, I could run three miles, uh, approximately three days. <laughs> okay, I'm not a runner, I'm just not, okay? So you're, 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 and you're in decent shape, and you ran in high school and stuff. Okay, so have you ever done a three-legged race? Not. You haven't? Okay, well, I'm going to teach you how this works. Hold on to that for me real quick. We're going to put our legs together. Okay, we got to get kind of close here. The way a three-legged race works is that <clears throat> we have four legs, but these four legs are going to become three legs. I just realized we're like twins. We look just like each other, buddy. I bet you if I walk out of here, people are going to think that you're me. Probably it. Okay, and the idea you do is you, you put your arm behind each other, and the idea is that we have a race and we have destination, and the idea is when we, when we, when we, want, to, when we want to move this uh, foot, we all both have to come up like this, and then we run, okay? Does that make sense? Got it. Okay, <clears throat> so <laughs> I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm not fast. Uh, in fact, I'm not fast. I'm not quick either, okay? And I'm not a distance runner. I'm, I'm just not. Never have been. The way Pastor Dan describes me is I'm like the Incredible Hulk running through a swamp with a house on his back. That's what I look like when I run. That's kind of it. <laughs> I don't care how fast you are. I guarantee you're not going to be faster than I am. You know what I'm saying? Yep. You will, you will not go any faster than what I can go. And it ain't going to be fast. Okay? Now, you still have your character. You're still Jordan. You still have your strengths. In fact, you still have your quickness. 
You don't lose that because you're tied to me. I don't lose who I am because I'm tied to you. God, Jesus, did not, he never, he never lost his deity. He never lost his omnipotence. He never, he never lost his uh, omniscience, his, his ability to know everything. He never lost that, but he did put it aside. But he never lost the attribute. In fact, I got to do the rest of the message, and it didn't strike me that I got to unhitch myself here. So I'm going to do this real quick, okay, buddy? And I tied it a little too tight, maybe, but. Thanks, buddy. Would you thank him for coming up? This, this helped me. This really helped me. William Craig is the one who used this kind of this idea. Some of you will know that name. Actually, he was part of the missionary church. He's a, a world-renowned uh, defender of truth. Um, his specialty is resurrection, but tremendous mind. And he just, he said, that's kind of the picture of it. He said, he said this, Before the foundation of the world, Father, Son, and Spirit freely determined together that the Son would limit or restrain the use of those powers to accomplish his overall mission. He didn't lose his essential divine attributes. Rather, he voluntarily, temporarily suppressed or gave up access to using certain divine capacities and powers he, he possessed all along. Like a father holding back the full force of his powers while playing soccer or baseball with his kids, so the Son of God, before coming to the earth, determined to restrain his divine capacities. Now, it's one thing when you lose something. It's another thing when you know that you have it, but you have determined you will not use it. That's Jesus Christ. And when I, when I began to see that, it helped me a little bit because it helped me to understand that, okay, why was it that Jesus didn't know when he was coming again? Because he chose not to. It wasn't that he didn't have the capacity. It wasn't that he didn't have the attribute. He simply said, that's in the Father's hands because I've agreed that I am not going to be all-knowing at all times about all things that are going to be happening, but I still have that attribute and that capacity. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, what in the world? Who cares? I want a Christmas card. It says, Emmanuel, God with us. Why is this important? I'm going to give you four kind of theological reasons, and then I'm going to put a couple of practical reasons to it of why this is important. Number one, number one, Jesus had to become human. Why? So that he could reveal God to us. I love what it says in John 1.18. It says, no one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side. You notice what he does there? He calls Christ God. He says, God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known to us. So that means that when, when Christ is ministering to the adulterous woman, that's how God thinks about that adulterous woman. And when Jesus is working with a Samaritan woman... That's how Jesus would work with me. And by the way, when Jesus interacts with Pharisees, that's how God thinks about those who have a pharisaical attitude. And when you see Christ on the cross, that's how he thinks and feels about humanity. 
to carry our sins. He loves us that much. I got to tell you, when I understood this and gripped this, it just really changed my life. Because I grew up, like many of you, in a church setting where I believe that Jesus loved me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. I just came up with that, Marshall. I don't know if you knew that or not. But I had this view of God that he was the tyrant who was such a perfectionist that I could never please him nor live up to his expectations. Isn't that weird that I would distinguish like that? And yet, I'll bet you many, if not most of you, have done the same thing. And when I realized that when I saw Christ, I was seeing the Father. When I was seeing Jesus, I was seeing how the heavenly, it set me free. And in a sense, you're right, I never could please him in my own strength. But, but through Christ, I can actually come to him. And he loves me the way Jesus loves me. Number two, the second reason he had to come is, is, it, is that's how he provided the perfect advocate for us, or high priest. It's someone who knows what you're going through. It's not, it's not some high priest going before God, representing us when we fail, that doesn't know what it is to be tempted with those things. I, I've often thought of it this way, is that, is that when I blow it, now I don't know, how many of you have ever blown it as a Christian? you just kind of blown it. You've messed up. How many of you have ever sinned? Can I just ask you? How many have ever sinned? And Jesus, you know, I, I think about it, and God is holy, and it says that God can't have that, and yet Jesus goes before me, and it's almost like he says, no, I, I never did that, Father, but I remember what it was like and how hard it was, and I, I remember that temptation. I'm going to show him grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And Scripture says he was tempted in every way, like I've been tempted. Number three, the third reason is that he had, he, he had to become human in order to be a, substitu a substitutionary sacrifice. Now, the, the, the phrase is actually substitutionary atonement. In order for Jesus to die for my sins, he had to have the same nature, the same. It, it wouldn't have been enough just simply for God to die. Gods don't die. And it wasn't enough just for, for us to die. The fact is he had to die on our behalf to pay for our sins. Now, this may sound terrible to some of you who have never heard this. But every single one of us deserves to die for our sins. God is holy. We're not. And the wages, the payment for sin, Scripture says is death. We all deserve death, and yet Jesus took our death for us. He took the cross for us. He took the, the punishment for us. I, I still, I will never fully under, I don't think I'm going to understand it in heaven. I think it is so far beyond what my mind can conceive. But somehow, Scripture says that God made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin for me on the cross so that I might become the righteousness of God. That's a quote from Scripture. And I don't know. I, I kind of comprehend it, but I don't get it. How did God do that? But it was necessary for God to come in the flesh, live the sinless, perfect life, to take and uh, pay 
for my sins on the cross. And number four, the fourth reason Jesus had to become human is it was to show us how to live life to the full. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, I have come that you might have life, zoe, quality of life, and have it to the full. And the only way I'm going to be able to show you how to do that is to demonstrate it for you. But there are a few just practical things that hit my heart when I began to understand what Christ gave up for me. Because can I just tell you, Christ didn't just give up for me on the cross. Christ came, gave up for me to even come to live the ordinary. Number one, the first thing that says to me is that if God is able to come to the common ordinary, then we're not too common to miss out on the presence of God. God doesn't just come to the spectacular. God doesn't just come. God comes to ordinary people. I don't know how many of you are ordinary, but Tammy and I are pretty ordinary. How many of you, uh, how many of you over Thanksgiving got together with some family? Raise your hand. How many of you got together with like some extended family? Any of you? How many of you like all of your extended family? I don't. <laughs> I got to be honest. Oh, I love them. I, I, I got to love them to go to heaven. I'll be honest, seeing them once a year is okay with me, you know. I said to Tammy, I said, man, that person is so opinionated. And then I realized, oh, man, that's probably what they think about me. <laughs> hey, if you have an ordinary family, congratulations, God can show up. If you have an ordinary household income, congratulations. Get an ordinary job. Have an ordinary problem. Let me tell you, there's a lot of ordinary problems today. I know they're extraordinary to you, but they're, there are so many that battle addictions. There are so many that are battling relational meltdown. There are so many that are battling unplanned pregnancies. There are many that are battling pregnancies that were planned, but they're not going the way they thought they were supposed to. If your kids made poor choices, if you have a family member who's made poor choices, if you've made poor choices. I hate to say this. There is no temptation that has seized you except what is common to men. That was said over 2,000 years ago. Congratulations, we have a God who loves to show up in the common and the ordinary. The second thing that that struck me with is that God is with us. It means God hasn't chosen just to show up in the church or 
in the stained glass or in the beautiful. God, God, you know, I'm not saying he doesn't show up. It's just that God, God can show up anywhere. He can show up in your car. He can show up in your workplace. God, see, isn't that incredible? The divine doesn't just show up in the places that are perfect. He's able to show up in the imperfect. Number three, if all of that is true, he must think pretty highly of us. Now, I, I want to be careful. I'm going to tell you this. The gospel is not about us. It's really about him. The, this, is, this is not, God didn't come for our glory. It's for his glory. I want you to understand. This is not, our life is not about us. It's about him. This is not an egocentric theology. But by, a byproduct of it is, is that he thinks awfully highly of us. I mean, he could have just started over right? I mean, he could have just wiped everybody out and started again and said, you know, let's do it right this time. And the fact is, he did it right the first time. He said it was good. It's that he wanted us to have a choice. He wanted us to choose to follow him. But when you leave the spectacular to take on the ordinary, you think pretty highly of those that you're going to to fulfill. He does really love you, you know. And he makes those promises to you because he really does love you. And I know you're going through a season. I, I remember a couple of years ago I said something and then Pastor Chelsea uh, said it again. And it's, it's true, every time I come to Christmas now, I can't help but think it. That wherever you are at Christmas time, Christmas is like an incredible exclamation mark. And if you're in a good place, then Christmas is really good. And if you're not in a good place, Christmas is really not. And if you're lonely, it's really lonely. And you've got good relationships, then you've got great relationships. But he wants to meet you in them. Which leads me to number four. Because he is God and because he is human, he's able to fulfill the promises that he's made to you. He's big enough to do that. He's powerful enough. He's omnipotent, all-knowing, never-changing. When Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. Can I tell you what? He can give you rest. And when he says, you know what? I can light your, your world in your direction. He can light your world in direction. And when he says, I can forgive you, he can forgive you. And when he says that he can mend you, he can mend you. When he says that he can rescue a marriage, he can rescue a marriage. When he says that he wants to heal you and meet you, it means he wants to heal you and meet you. And when he comes to an adulterous woman and says, I'm not going to condemn you, go and sin no more. He can actually transform a life and change the directory. God with us. And the virgin shall be with child and they shall name him Emmanuel. Which means Emmanuel with us God. El the God of creation. He's with you. 
So, Father, I thank you. I, I know we dove a little bit deeper today, but in the depths, there's some rich stuff. Because there are some that are here this morning that are perhaps scared to death to begin a journey with you. And, Lord, you are big enough to get them across the finish line. You're big enough to rescue them. You're big enough to forgive them. Your invitation is for them. There are some who came in this morning who were kind of messed up like I was. When they see Jesus, they know He loves them, but they're not too sure about the Heavenly Father. And when we understand that when we see Christ, we're seeing the Heavenly Father who loves us. Maybe the risk to step into a walk and relationship with Him is worth it. Maybe when He says He can forgive you and give you a future, he can. And maybe today, before you even leave here, you just simply humble your heart before God and say, God, I, I think I had some wrong ideas about you. I really do want to be forgiven, and I really do want to be your child. I just wasn't sure how to do it. I was a little afraid to do it, like you, like you say no. Well, here I am. I am common, and I am ordinary, and I've got all kinds of flaws but I'm yours. Would you forgive me? Forgive me from doing my own thing and forgive me for the stuff I've done wrong and would you come into my life and would you change me? Would you lead me? Would you make me your child? I really want to walk with you. And that's a beginning prayer to a lifelong journey but I promise you, if you mean that from your heart, in Jesus' name, He will forgive you. He'll receive you. He'll change you. He'll walk with you. And He will be with you. Lord, when we walk out the doors today, would we just simply walk out with a sense of authority of knowing who it is that says he's with us today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.